This morning's reading is taken from Luke 8, verses 26 to 39. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherds saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's great to be with you all. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm David Ingall. I'm part of the congregation here. Uh, my wife and uh, wife Liz and daughter Beatrice, I think, are probably outside playing in the crash at the moment. And we love being part of this church. Um, I'm a, a clergyman, pastor by background, but my day job is I now uh, make Christian teaching films, looking at Bible books or themes, Burning Heart, it's called. Um, enough about me, though. Into this passage, and wow, what a passage. Whoa, what a passage it is. I mean, it, it's, it's a very famous passage, and I think for, for a lot of us, quite familiar, which, which means that that can blunt and take the edge off the, the punch that comes with it. There is a darkness and yet also a glory in this passage, which I think is meant to just rock us back on our heels. You should be unsettled. You should be challenged, but you should also be gloriously encouraged when you read this passage. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll crack on. So Lord Jesus, we, we pray that as you were there all those years ago, you'd be here in our midst as you've promised where two or three are gathered. Come Holy Spirit, would you be Lord and King in this place? And as we dig into your word, would you bring freedom and, and healing and your presence in our midst? Amen. Amen. Well, um, when I left school, I, uh, I'm something of a cliche, and uh, so therefore I went on a gap year. Uh, uh, but I, 
I had, well, everyone always says this, don't they? I had the most wonderful time on my gap year because I spent most of it uh, with a missionary organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. In fact, I've just met someone who's from YWAM this morning. I'm very excited about that. Welcome. Um, and uh, it, it was a time for me, six months, I was doing a sort of discipleship training school where my faith kind of came alive and went deeper in fresh and new ways. Uh, but one of the more sort of unsettling experiences that I had while I was with YWAM was that it was the first time in my life that I'd ever experienced and encountered evil in a kind of supernatural way. It was when I was uh, on an outreach and we, uh, well I was based in Australia, it's a global mission organisation, we'd gone on an outreach up the northwest coast of Australia. We were uh, doing a sort of a week with a church, the Rayburn Aboriginal Fellowship, they're dear to my heart to preach my first ever Sunday sermon uh, there, Uh, but towards the end uh, of the week that we were there, we did this big outreach at a sort of municipal outdoor swimming pool and park for all the kids and youth in the area. And uh, while that was going on, towards the end of the evening, we also had a barbecue and stuff like that, um, something very strange happened. One of my my friends spotted that there was a young kid who'd just been sat looking into the bushes for a really long time. So he went to, to investigate, and when he got there, the guy's eyes had rolled up into the back of his head, and all my friend could see was the whites of his eyes. Um, and it was like he was some form of trance. So my, my friend shook him, and he sort of, it was like he woke up. And, and, and he said what had happened is he'd seen a headless woman in the bushes. And you're probably thinking what I was thinking when I heard that, which was weird. But, but, but sort of my friend was a, a bit freaked out by it. He sort of brought it to the, sort of the rest of the group. And some of the elders of the church were there as well. And one of them said, ah, oh, yes, she's, she's a spirit of death. Um, she, she often appears uh, when somebody in our community has died. And there'd been a young man who'd died in an accident just a day or two beforehand. You, you can imagine that, that me and most of the other people on our YWAM group were, were pretty kind of shaken and freaked out by this. And so at the end of the evening, once we'd packed up, our, our leader got us together. And he said to us two things which I will never forget. He said, you need to know two things. The first is, this stuff is real. The, the, the devil, demons, supernatural evil, it, it's real and it's powerful. But the second thing that you need to know is that Jesus is infinitely more powerful and you have nothing to fear. And I tell that story because those two points are the points that I want to bring out of this passage this morning. They're two messages that sort of jump off the page at me and which I think are so important for us to hear. Because in my experience as a pastor over the last 20 years, we tend to kind of miss somewhere on one of those two. And I found people tend to either completely ignore supernatural evil or be far too freaked out by it. And what we need to hear, what we need to learn, is that this stuff is real, that demons, the devil, they exist and are powerful, but Jesus is infinitely more powerful. So you have nothing to be afraid of. Now, even as I say that, though, I am conscious that given the context and the culture and the society in which we live, 
Our default reaction, I think, to stories like that is often to try and explain them away. Some of you might have been doing it even as I was telling the story. But then thinking through, well, maybe there's an alternative, a naturalistic explanation for, for what David is describing. You know, just a kid, maybe he'd heard these stories of this spirit of death, and it was around about dusk, so just saw some shadows in the bushes, or somebody walking past, um, and he couldn't see her properly, or an animal, or something like that, and in overactive imagination, just ran away with it. Or, or maybe uh, he was hallucinating. Maybe, um, you know, he, he'd... Um, eaten a dodgy mushroom, or this is Australia we're talking about, bitten by a snake, something like that. And, and the sort of, the, the, the naturalistic explanations sort of pop into our minds almost immediately. And sort of maybe more than that, sort of more generally, when we think of the demonic, uh, we often look back to our histories. We remember that in a pre-modern, pre-scientific age, before the advances of medicine that we now have, and particularly the advances of medicine uh, in the, the area of mental health and serious mental illnesses, um, many things which we now understand better, if not fully, like uh, schizophrenia or, or, or other serious mental health conditions, were often wrongly, and I do want to say and underline wrongly, diagnosed as demon possession. And so we think, oh, oh okay, well, maybe, maybe it was something like that going on. And we come with all these naturalistic explanations. And the, the, sort of, the, the, the result of it is that, is that they give us just enough doubt to just kind of sweep stories like that under the carpet. To say, oh, well, I'm sure there's a natural explanation. Now I don't need to think about it. I don't need to be uh, freaked out by it. Now, you don't need to be freaked out about it, but not because it's not real, but because Jesus is bigger. And in some ways, it doesn't matter if you do that with the story I told. If, if, you, if you think something else was happening, well, you might be right. I, I didn't interview the, the young boy. There are lots of other things that might have happened. I, I don't think that that, that was what was happening. I, I think he, he saw a demon, but, but I could be wrong. I'm really happy to admit that. It doesn't matter if I'm wrong, but it does matter on the big level. It does matter that you know that this stuff is real. And, and it matters because it is here, loud and clear in the Bible. And as any of you who've read the Gospels will know, this isn't an isolated occurrence. I mean, we're working through Luke at the moment. You're going to find lots of stories of Jesus casting out demons. It was one of the features um, of his ministry. That was, that was a little bit of, you know, um, special effects that we thought would kind of, um, you know, make, make it hit home. But Jesus was, was often driving out demons, and um, it is very clear in this passage particularly that they are real. Because in some ways, and I'm going to come back to this, this is, if you like, the ultimate story of an encounter between Jesus and the demonic and Jesus' triumph over them. And one of the things that really hits me about this story is that, that the demonic elements of it cannot be explained away. So, uh, first of all, Jesus clearly thinks that he is encountering a, ge a demon. Not only does he think so, he says so. So if we believe and trust in Jesus, if we believe and trust in the Bible, which I hope and think that most of us here do, and if you don't, let's have a chat. That's a different sermon. We'll talk about that some other time. But if we believe and trust in Jesus, we trust the Bible, we have to take that seriously. 
And then there's all, all kinds of other things going on that, that, that make it clear. I mean, the, the thing that always hits me in this story is Jesus appears. They've, they've come across the lake. There hasn't been time for word to spread. This man is someone who's been living outside of human society for quite a long time. He's not been reading the newspapers. There's no way that he could, humanly speaking, know anything about Jesus. And yet, as soon as Jesus arrives, there's a clash between him and Jesus. And while, as you may remember from last week, everybody else is asking, who is this man, Jesus? W- w- what are we supposed to believe? about him, immediately the demon gets it right. He says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He knows who Jesus is, and there's no way that he would know who Jesus was unless, well, unless he he was, they were were demons. And and then Jesus talks to them, um, and, and that kind of makes it all explicit that we're dealing with demons And then this kind of strange ending to the story when the demons go into a herd of pigs and the pigs rush down uh, to their destruction. Uh, And, uh, you know, there are many kind of wonderful and amazing things about the mind. We don't fully understand lots about them, but psychic projections that destroy herds of pigs is not something I've ever heard of. This is beyond what you could explain. Here we have hitting us in the face, the reality of (coughs) demons and supernatural evil. And not just the reality of them, but the malevolence of it. I I think sometimes, you know, the world can get very obsessed about this. It's sort of half half of us uh, want to kind of just say, nah, don't believe in this at all. And the other half of us keep, uh, you know, serious amounts of uh, Hollywood studios in business, going away and watching horror films and and imagining things like, like that. And, and yet, even when it's a horror film, it's kind of too tame. And we sort of try and tone it down. And we sort of try to sort of ignore that, that actually, well, there's a real darkness in this story. I mean, elsewhere, Jesus describes uh, the devil as a thief. And he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and that's what's happening here. The, the, the demons have destroyed this man's life. You know, we, we, we meet him at the start. He is naked. He is homeless. He's been driven into the tombs. And, you know, the, the tombs in those days, it wasn't round pretty village churches, a sort of nice picturesque graveyard. No, no, no. The tombs were on the edge of towns. It's the place where you didn't want to go, the place of shame, uncleanness, darkness, fear, and it's the only place where he can be. They've tried to shackle him. He's got some kind of supernatural sort of power, so he breaks the shackles, but, but this man's existence, his little more than existence, has been, it's, it's, it's dark and destroyed by the malevolent of the evil that we encounter in this passage. And, and, and even then, at the end, the destructive force, they, 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 they're cast into the pigs and they destroy the pigs with uh, the livelihoods of those who are involved in them. There's, there's, a, there's a wickedness, there's a destructiveness uh, to evil. Uh, and I think we, we have to realize that. So it's not just that these things are real, that the, the devil is re- real, but he's... He's out to get us. All of which probably is making you feel pretty uncomfortable. All of which seems very scary. And all of which means it is so important that we hear and realize what the next message is. 
the overarching message of this story, which is Jesus is infinitely more powerful. And infinitely more powerful than anything we will ever experience, demonically, supernaturally evil. He is the Lord of all. Actually, by the time we are talking about it now, in some ways that's been even more dramatically demonstrated and proved because this is before the crucifixion and the resurrection when everything is finally and completely put under his feet and all the power of sin, death, hell, evil, the devil, the rest of it is decisively and completely and finally broken. And this is beforehand. And what we see is the demons who can't even run away without Jesus' permission. Please let us go into the pigs. They are so utterly subservient. They are so utterly overpowered by Jesus that they do whatever he tells them. And I mean, I, I just love that. They can't even run away. They can't even flee from him unless he gives them permission. And they are, they are the A-team when it comes to the demonic. Uh, this, as I said, is the sort of the, the pinnacle of uh, kind of demonic oppression that, that we encounter in these stories. Not, not just because this man seems to be even more sort of far gone, his, his life even more destroyed than any of the other demoniacs who Jesus encounters, but because of the, the, the number of demons and so there are other moments uh, in the, the, the gospel stories, lots of them, where Jesus casts a demon out. There are one or two moments when there are one, two, maybe a, a few demons there. Uh, Mary Magdalene, for instance, is described as having been oppressed by seven demons. But here we are on a whole other level. Have you ever wondered, why does Jesus ask the demon's name? Now, I could be wrong on this, but I don't think that ever happens anywhere else. Jesus never asks the demon's name in any other situation. And I don't think Jesus is asking the demon's name because he doesn't know it or because he's interested or because he thinks that if he doesn't know the name, he's not going to be able to deal with this situation. In fact, before he asks the name, the demon's already uh, sort of realizing, I beg you, don't torture me, already realizing that it, it, that who Jesus is. It knows who Jesus is. It knows that it's got to do whatever he's told, it's told. So why does Jesus ask the name? And I think it's because he knew, he discerned what he was up against here. And he knew that this wasn't just one or two demons, but many. And many is understating it, because the demons are named legion. And um, we're not familiar with sort of Roman military organization like they were then, but the, the, the legion was the sort of standard core basic unit of Roman military set up, if you like a little army in microcosm, you could do anything with a legion. For instance, um, a couple of years later, the entirety of the southwest of Britain, you know, Cornwall, Devon, Somerset, all the rest of it, conquered by one legion. Um, and they just used four for the whole, of, the whole of Britain. And there were a little over five and a half thousand men in a legion. So there are a lot of demons that we are dealing with here. And that's then further illustrated by the fact that the entire herd of pigs is demon-possessed and goes off the cliffs uh, to its destruction. And again, have you ever wondered why Jesus allows that to happen? You know, the, the, the demons are saying, please let me go into the pigs. 
And you sort of expect Jesus to say, no, you're demons. I'm against you. I'm going to throw you into the abyss, whatever that is. And we're not going down that rabbit hole today. Uh, you just get you gone. I mean, there's no compassion for the demons. He's not feeling sorry for them. So why? And I think the answer is for you and for me and for those who are watching to show us what is going on, to demonstrate the reality of legion, that they are many. And so these two unusual features of the story, that the, the naming of the demons and then the destruction of the pigs, are to show you that, if you like, the, the devil brought his A-game to this encounter, and he still got completely and utterly obliterated and annihilated. Th that there is no contest between Jesus and the devil. And I think this is so important to, to sort of underline and ram home because I think sometimes we think of the sort of the devil and Jesus as sort of like evenly matched opponents, sort of wrestling it out. And we're watching at the sidelines going, oh, who's going to win? You know, oh, oh, the devil's got the, oh, no, Jesus, oh, oh, Jesus, just shaved it up. No. Jesus is completely above the devil and all his works and all his ways. And that is vital for us. Because that, that's where I want to finish. Okay, we, we've got these two points. The, the devil, the demonic, this supernatural evil stuff is real and, and bad and powerful. And Jesus is infinitely more powerful. So we have nothing to fear. What does then this mean in our lives and in our situations? And, and in my experience, generally... Christians fall into two kind of equal and opposite errors when it comes to the demonic. One group tries to deny or ignore it completely. We, we just don't want to go there. It's a bit too freaky, a bit too weird, not very British. Let's just pretend it's not there. And the other group become obsessed with it. It was a demon. It was a demon that slammed that door earlier. It was, a, it was an attack on my sermon. And it was probably just the wind, and somebody had left the door open. And, and, and always looking to, to sort of not just discern demons anywhere, but, 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 you know, have you ever come across people and they, they're sort of, they could reel off a list of 500 different demons and principalities that are over here, there, and everywhere. And there seems to be an obsession, and they spend all their time wanting to know more about the demons, wanting to understand more about the demonic kingdoms, wanting to, to go out there and be a sort of spiritual Christian Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, and bring down the kingdom of Satan. And they're wrong too. I want, I want to, to, to quote something from C.S. Lewis, which I love. My favorite book on spiritual warfare, all this kind of stuff, is um, The Screwtape Letters. And uh, many of you will know it. And at the start of it, he says this. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. And, and I think that there's, there's something really in that. Let's, let's start with the materialists, those of us who want to just ignore it. Well, we're not just disbelieving something that the Bible tells us. 
But we're also ignoring the fact that the Bible makes it clear that we are in a battle. We are in a battle in which, if you like, the, the devil is in control of most of the battlefield. Jesus describes him elsewhere as the prince of this world. In other words, if you're not part of the kingdom of Christ, you are under the dominion and authority of Satan. And there is so much that he is doing. Uh, perhaps the sort of most famous uh, Bible passage about this is in, is in Ephesians 6. And Paul puts it like this. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And actually, that sort of slightly expands our understanding, because what we see in the story that we're looking at today is, if you like, the devil's A-game, the, the, the moment when it explodes out into the open, when the, the Cold War goes hot. But that's not most of our experience. Some of you might have the odd story, like I, I've shared with you, of, of encountering supernatural evil, and I could come up with a couple more, but my day-to-day -day experience is not that. But we are in a battle. And when, when Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood, he, he, but against all these powers and principalities and authorities, what he's saying is when we encounter opposition to the gospel, when we encounter persecution, when we encounter sin and wickedness and evil in this world, we are not just encountering an individual who seems to be set against us, but we are encountering the power of evil, the power of Satan in this world. And that's something which all of us experience all the time. We, we can see it on the macro level. If you read the stories coming out of the Ukraine and the, the Russian occupation there, can you, can you not see that there is evil, something demonic, undergirding all that. But, but equally, when you look at sort of some of the cultural trends, when we see the, the, the sexual revolution, when we see the complete uh, sort of uh, dismantling of, of sexual morality in, in uh, the last sort of 50, 60 years, when we see uh, kind of anything goes views, which then also has led to the breakdown of the family and the, the crumbling of uh, the, that wonderful thing, sex, which binds together uh, the, the core family relationship of husband and wife, uh, and we see all the, all the pain and hardship and heartache that comes from broken families and so on and so forth, are we not seeing a demonic uh, strategy that has been going for, for decades, possibly even centuries, that, that the devil is at work in this world? And when we look in our own lives, do we not see the slings and arrows of the enemy. Paul certainly thought we, we were, because he doesn't just say, oh, there are all these powers and principalities that they're doing stuff over there. He says, you need to put on the full armor of God. You need to take your stand against these things. And, and then he doesn't describe sort of kind of horror movie style kind of swords and switchblades against the demons. He says, you need to protect your, your mind with the helmet of salvation. You need to protect your heart with the breastplate of righteousness and so on and so forth. So you need to know that you're in a battle because otherwise you're going to come unstuck. But 
What then do we do? Do we go after the demons? Do we try and take down the forces of darkness? There's, there's definitely a, a kind of stream within the, the Christian church of people who think, right, I'm going to be the one who dismantles Satan's authorities and kingdoms. Friends, you don't need to do it because Jesus has already done it. And um, I remember being hit by this when I was preaching uh, on Ephesians 6 a few years ago, and I was reading a commentary, and, and I realized that when he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, all those words are echoing something he said earlier in the letter. And he says this. He says that power that we're given is the same as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but in the one to come. Jesus has already won the victory. It's not just that Jesus is going to win the victory. He has won the victory. Jesus is above. Jesus is more powerful than anything you will ever encounter. And that is the key. I've summed it up once before. Have you you heard the old phrase, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight? And if we try to take Satan on, on our own, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. In fact, it's like turning up for a gunfight just with your bare fists and thinking you're going to get away from him. But when we look to Jesus, when we turn to him, when we rest and stand firm in his strength, it's like bringing a tank to a gunfight. <laughs> but what we need to do is stand firm. I don't know if you've ever spotted that in Ephesians 6 as well. It doesn't say, put on the full armor of God so that you might take ground. It says, put on the full armor of God that you might stand. So all that is really in question is not who wins the war, but whether you or I fall in the battle. And the way that we stand is by being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might by putting on the full armor of God, by fixing our eyes upon Jesus. And I think this is why you don't find all this demon hunting in the Gospels and in uh, the book of Acts. The demons usually just pop up. They encounter Jesus, and Jesus just says, now, what was I doing? And, and, and again, we see it in the book of Acts. There's, there's one wonderful time when, when, when there's a demon who starts shouting at Paul, and he carries on shouting, and then Paul just gets cross and goes, oh, shut up, and casts out the demon. But, but we, we have power over them. We need to be aware that these things are real. But then the response is, look at Jesus. The response is to be obsessed with him. The response is to know that if I am utterly and completely in Jesus, if I am rooted in him and I am operating in his name, then the demons will flee when I tell them to. And I will be able to stand. So friends, that is what you need to do. That is what I need to do in response to this passage. You need to know that this is real, but do not be dismayed. Do not be afraid. 
because Jesus is infinitely more powerful and he is your Lord and Savior. And he has promised that all who are in him have nothing to fear. Amen. And I'd love us to do some ministry in a moment. I'd love us to pray into some of these things. Maybe there are areas in your life that you want to be freed from. Maybe there's a sin that you just keep on coming back to. You, you, you can't break free from the hold that it seems to have on you. Or maybe there's a situation in your family or at work which seems to be uh, kind of oppressive and, and you want to pray for breakthrough. And I'd like to do all those things or, or whatever. I'm actually going to hand over to Paddy for, for the ministry time. But first, I want us to worship. Because the point that I've made is that it's Jesus who frees us from all this. It's Jesus who defeats the demons. It's Jesus who has power over them. So before we look in on ourselves, before we focus on our own problems and darknesses and struggles with the evil one, let's focus on him. Let's lift our eyes to him. Let's worship him. Let's glorify him. And let us so immerse ourselves in his presence that then we're just like, oh yeah, get, get out to, to the demons. So will you stand? Would you worship? And then um, Paddy might lead us in a bit more ministry.